0: Good evening, and welcome to Fury Tales, the podcast dedicated to exploring human fears and their impact on storytelling through folklore, urban legends, and visual media. I'm your Dream Warrior host, Paul Dennis. Tonight, we're going to sleep, and exploring the world of dreams, the monsters that inhabit them, and the true things that could happen while you're sleeping. We're gonna take a look at some of the darker sides of our sweet dreams. How sleep paralysis could overtake us and make us see and feel many things while we're trying to drift off into that security. But we're also gonna look at people that can control dreams. and Maybe people that aren't gonna control them in the best way for you. Maybe a monster, in fact the dream demon of Elm Street himself, Freddy Krueger. So join me now as we let go, we drift off, and enter into our own personal nightmare on Elm Street. Tina Gray wakes in her dark room, screaming and thrashing in her bed. The image of the mutilated figure with the distinctive razor-sharp knives on his right hand still burned in her mind as she recalls the way he stalked her through the boiler room. She catches her breath, attempting to shake the image when her mother bursts in, panicked at the sudden nighttime screams. Tina tells her mother about the dream and looks down at her nightgown slash with cuts identical to the one she received in her dream. The morning arrives with no more dreams, and Tina meets up with her two best friends, Nancy and Glenn, to walk to school. As they travel, Tina brings up the dream and the strange man. Nancy laughs it off, telling her it reminds her of the old, one, two, Freddy's coming for you, jump rope song they knew as children. Glenn makes a cryptic comment about bad dreams coming true, but ignores Tina's questions about his own dreams, stuttering and running off into the school as they arrive. Later that night, Tina, Nancy, and Glenn decide to have a sleepover, in hopes of making Tina feel better. Her distress over the nightmare is evident, and the group continues discussing it. Nancy gasps as she recognizes the man from Tina's dream, having had a similar dream about the same person, a horribly burned man with large finger knives that he scratches over everything. Glenn assures the girls that what they're saying is impossible, however, his face registers some recognition himself. All at once, noises emanate from the backyard causing the three teens to investigate. The trio steps outside, already on edge due to the discussion, when a large shape leaps out at them, frightening them. Tina gets angry, realizing it's only her rebellious boyfriend, Rod, there to crash the party. Tensions ease up as the group split up to go to their rooms, with Tina and Rod taking her mother's bedroom. The night progresses onward when Tina hears tiny, sharp noises. She wakes up and sees rocks being thrown at her window, but can't tell who's doing it. Slipping out of the house, she goes out to investigate down a nearby alleyway when the burned killer steps out, revealing himself to her. Realizing she's dreaming, Tina attempts to wake herself up to no avail, and she begins running back to her house, the killer in pursuit. Tackling madly. As she enters her backyard, the burned man catches her, slicing off two of his own fingers before grabbing the crying girl, beginning the murder. A murder that carries over into the waking world, which Rod wakes up to discover as Tina is flung across the room and cuts appear on her skin from invisible knives. He screams, scrambling, attempting to save her and escape. He leaves the room, leaving Tina to her fate as Nancy and Glenn enter the room to find their friend dead, and Rod nowhere to be found. After a busy and restless night of speaking to the cops, which includes Nancy's own father, she returns to school despite objections from her mother about needing to sleep. As she travels to school, she notices a car trailing behind her. Recognizing it as police from her father's precinct, she cuts through a different street only to be grabbed by Rod, desperately explaining to her what he saw and that he didn't kill Tina. In a panic, he threatens her just as her father appears in the bushes, pulling a gun on him and forcing him into the street to be arrested by the other officers. Nancy, angry at her father for using her to capture Rod, angrily leaves for school. In class, Nancy notices a figure in a body bag standing outside the classroom. She leaves the class, finding the body bag being dragged down the hall. Nancy turns the corner, knocking over a girl wearing a green and red striped sweater. The girl demands that Nancy show her hall pass, prompting her to tell the girl off and runs down the hall, searching for the body bag. A deep, masculine voice calls out to her making her turn back to see the girl now wearing the finger knives and instructing Nancy to not run in the hallways. Rattled, Nancy continues following the blood trail into the boiler room. As she makes her way through the door, the burn killer attacks her, finally revealing his first name, Freddy. Nancy realizes that she's dreaming and slams her arm against the nearby po- boiler pipe the pain causing her to shoot awake in the classroom, screaming out and alarming the teacher in her class. Embarrassed and scared, Nancy races out of the class, the burn on her arm pulsing. Nancy makes her way to the jail to find Rod and discuss the nightmares with someone else. Once there, he finishes telling her what he saw in Tina's mother's room, how he never saw anyone else there and that he assumed he was still having a nightmare when he first saw tina being murdered when he mentions that all four slashes in her chest appeared simultaneously nancy believes rod's innocence knowing who the real killer was back at home nancy steps into the hot bath attempting to relax after the long previous days her mother warns her to not fall asleep and offers to bring nancy some warm milk The hot water surrounding her relaxes her too much, and she begins to drift off, not noticing the razor gloves surfacing out of the water and eventually pulling her under. Nancy screams and violently wakes up as her mother arrives at the bathroom with the milk, dropping it to help Nancy out of the bath. Later that night, Glenn climbs into Nancy's bedroom, and the two discuss Tina's murder and Rod's involvement. Still exhausted, she asks Glenn to watch over her as she tries to get some sleep, then drifts off into another dream. In this dream, she is at Rod's cell, watching as Freddy creeps into his cell and towers over the sleeping form on the bed. Nancy gets his attention and confronts the killer before finally waking herself up to a sleeping Glenn. She wakes him, chastising him, and telling him to hide as they hear her mother approaching. She settles back in bed, reassuring her mother that everything is alright, and she's just going to go back to sleep. After waiting a few minutes, the pair leave Nancy's room, heading towards the jail just in time to watch a noose form by sheet slip around Rod's neck and hanging him from the cell wall. The killer had struck again. After Rod's funeral, Nancy tells her parents that Rod was not the killer. She describes the killer as a horribly burned man who wears a dirty red and green sweater, a weird hat, and has razors on his fingers. The color drains out of both of their faces, indicating recognition. Nancy's mother takes her to a dream therapy clinic to ensure she gets some sleep. Once again, she has a horrendous nightmare. This time a white streak appears in her hair, and her arm is badly cut. She finds that she has brought something out from her dream, the killer's battered hat. It arouses concern, but also has other feelings in her mother, who is clearly hiding a secret. Nancy confronts her about the hat and points out that the name Fred Krueger is written into it. Although Marge reveals almost nothing, she insists to Nancy that no one is trying to kill her, and all Nancy needs to do is get some sleep. Days later, Glenn meets up with Nancy, where she informs him that she hadn't been able to sleep in over seven days. He notices that she's reading about booby traps, and tells her about the Balinese way of sleeping, informing her that when the Balinese see a monster in their dreams, they turn their back on it robbing it of all its power. Nancy returns home with this new knowledge, and notices that her mother has barred up all the windows in the house. She confronts her mother again, who finally reveals that Fred Krueger was a child murderer who killed at least 20 children over a decade earlier furious, vengeful parents burned him alive in his boiler room hideout after he was released from jail on a technicality due to an improperly signed warrant. She reassures Nancy that Kruger cannot hurt anyone, pulling Kruger's bladed glove from a hiding place in the furnace as proof. Later that night, Nancy calls Glenn and makes a deal with him. She tells him that she is going to go into her dreams and pull the killer out. She requests that Glenn be there to knock the killer out when she does. Protesting, Glenn insists that nothing will happen. Nancy assures him that he then has nothing to lose. Finally, before hanging up, she directs him, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Glenn's father, frustrated at the drama and chaos, tells his wife he doesn't want Glenn hanging out with Nancy anymore. When Nancy calls back again, he reaches the end of his rope and refuses to let her speak to Glenn. He then takes the phone off the hook. Nancy tries unsuccessfully to call Glenn again before removing the phone cord from the wall. Moments later, the phone rings. She tentatively answers it, only to hear the killer tell her, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy." His mouth and tongue appear on the phone, licking her face. Nancy knows Glenn is in serious trouble. Miles away and exhausted himself, Glenn falls asleep in bed with his television. Kruger's arm comes out of the bed and pulls Glenn into it, killing him immediately. A torrent of blood and gore shoot out of the bed and drenches the room. Glenn's mom enters the room, screaming. An emotionally distraught and mentally drained Nancy decides that enough is enough and wants to take Kruger on herself. She calls her father and asks him to be ready when she finds the killer. He tells her he will, clearly just humoring his overly tired daughter, and tells his deputy to watch the house. Nancy then sets her watch, says a prayer, and goes to sleep to find Kruger and end his reign of terror. Nancy bravely pursues Kruger and eventually finds him, and after they struggle, her alarm goes off and she wakes up in her bed, seemingly alone. After assuming that maybe she is crazy, Kruger jumps out on Nancy and tries to kill her. Having prepared beforehand, Nancy proves more than a match for Freddy, leading him through a barrage of booby traps. Nancy continuously calls out for her absent father until finally the officer he had watching her rushes to get him. Freddy then chases Nancy down to the basement where she sets him on fire. She manages to lock the flaming killer in the basement and goes to get her father and the rest of the police to help. The group return to the basement only to discover that Kruger has escaped. Fiery footsteps lead upstairs, and Nancy and her father follow them, arriving at her parents' room just in time to witness Kruger smothering Marge with his flaming body, then disappearing to leave her corpse to sink into the bed. After sending her father away, Nancy faces Kruger on her own, and succeeds in destroying him by turning her back on him and draining him of all his energy. She wishes for all his victims, including her mother, to be back as she walks out of her mother's bedroom. Welcome back to Fury Tales. It's been a long break, uh, but I'm glad that we are finally back into this. Starting up Season 3 by diving into one of the most well-known franchises in the horror and slasher communities, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, Nightmare was started in 1984... Uh, by the director Wes Craven, uh, one of the biggest horror legends and icons of the 70s and 80s. He actually had a few movies before Nightmare on Elm Street that helped propel him into stardom, uh, namely Last House on the Left uh, was one of them. Uh, He also did The Hills Have Eyes, and actually after Nightmare, after he was done with all those, he did another slasher movie in the 90s, bringing that back called Scream. So with the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, again, it started in 1984, which is after the other two main movies that people consider the uh, slasher start. Uh, We're looking at Halloween, which started in 1978, and Friday the 13th in 1980. Uh, So the story that we just went through uh, was recapping the events of the first movie, the origin story, uh, pretty much setting up What we're looking at in terms of freddy's powers and what he does and his his scares which was something that hadn't really been seen with both halloween and friday the 13th and even texas chainsaw massacre seeing big brooding silent killers uh freddy was smaller in stature uh he talked more he didn't have a mask he had more of a burned face so it was kind of iconic and changed the way that we saw things Uh, So in Elm Street 2, Freddy comes back from seemingly the dead, possessing the body of Jesse Walsh, Uh, and then he begins a new reign of terror. He goes through that one until he is exorcised by Jesse's girlfriend. So in Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, this one is regarded as one of the best, in fact the best, in the series by fans and critics alike this takes place actually in Weston Hills. That's when has Nancy from the first movie returning. She helps a new crop of kids that are being hunted by Freddy, and teaches them to actually go into their dreams and use their dream powers to become the dream warriors. Nancy is finally killed, unfortunately by Freddy, but they are able to put his remains into hollow ground and bury them and supposedly getting rid of the threat this time. And as we've seen through uh, Friday the 13th and, and Halloween, you know, you can't keep a good killer down. So we keep going through Elm Street 4, which is directly after the events of number 3. We have Alice, a new dream warrior who gets her own powers and abilities, uh, fighting against Freddy, and she inadvertently actually brings his victims into the dream world for him to take care of movie progresses, and she eventually gets all the powers of the Dream Master, and she's able to release all the souls that he was able to take, and she rips him apart. Elm Street 5 uh, continues on, bringing back Freddy's mother, who actually showed up in number three. Uh, she reveals her own tragic backstory on how Freddy was conceived. Uh, not a very pleasant thing resulted in some backstory with him later on, uh, how he was ridiculed and picked on as a kid, which resulted in him doing the things he did to the children of Elm Street. The Burned Killer comes back himself using an unborn child's soul to resurrect himself. Amanda Kruger, the mother, and Jacob, the dream child, actually fight back against him long enough to escape to the dream world. The sixth movie, Freddy's Dead, dives further into Freddy's backstory, as I mentioned, with his tormented childhood, bullying, and everything that led to him. We actually learn that he was married himself and killed his wife at his own hands after she found out what he was doing to the children of Elm Street. And he met with the dream demons, who offered him eternal life as becoming a dream demon himself um, before he was taken out of the dream world and blown up via a pipe bomb. Uh, So that was it as far as the main movies go. There was one more movie in the 90s called New Nightmare, which was more of a meta look at the series where Wes Craven, uh, Heather Langenkamp, who played Nancy, and Robert Englund, who plays Freddy, uh, they actually play themselves with Freddy attempting to escape the virtual or fictional realm that he had built up to wreak havoc in the physical world the movie progresses with everybody trying to figure out what's going on and trying to explain that it's just a movie and finally england convinces heather langen camp that she needs to play nancy one more time and she convinces the the dream demon that she is the real deal and he needs to kill her again but her and her son manage to shove kruger into the furnace and burn him seemingly ending things now, there was a television show as well uh, this started in october of 1988 and ran for 44 episodes uh, into march of 1990 it was called freddy's nightmare uh, the tv show provided a near weekly horror story in an anthology format similar to the twilight zone so it was different stories every week uh, the first one actually did have to do with nightmare on elm street And Freddy Krueger was the host of the episodes, uh, such as The Crypt Keeper, from Tales of the Crypt. So while only the first episode, which featured Freddy's trial and the subsequent death at the hands of the parents of Elm Street, again confirming more of the backstory, uh, since that was the only one that really dealt with Freddy in the Nightmare, he did actually show up in some of the stories to help influence them. So he was always present, uh, whether it was as the host or part of the story kind of influencing things, keeping up with the fact that he was able to bend the reality. Now, there are some ties to Friday the 13th. In the 9th Friday the 13th movie, Jason Goes to Hell, we see Freddy's gloved hand appearing as Jason is sucked into hell. He pulls the bigger man's hockey mask down with a cruel laugh. So this was kind of the setup, had a lot of fans clamoring and wondering what was going to happen. But it would be another 10 years before horror fans got to see this epic matchup come to fruition. Where Freddy comes in and Freddy vs. Jason and impersonates Pamela Voorhees to make Jason resume his killing spree on the Children of Elm Street. Now this is With the purpose to make them remember Freddy's name and his power and everything that he did and give him back his power. This goes back and forth where Freddy manages to get into Jason's dreams because Jason has become an unstoppable killing machine much as he often is. And he pulls him into the dream world and they fight through there and have to address some of Jason's backstory. Uh, And then they are able to pull both of them back into the real world to go toe to toe until both of them are dismembered and everything just goes through and they fall into Crystal Lake. The end of the movie happens when jason comes out of crystal lake uh, walking out he has freddy's head in his hands and we see freddy look wink at the camera so definitely setting up some stuff and letting us know you still can't kill either of them but that's the last we've seen other than the remake of nightmare on elm street uh, from 2010 pretty much just going back to the same storyline as the original movie so not much to talk about there There were some other mediums that we got to see Freddy appear in. Multiple novels, uh, both adaptations and independent novels, kind of explaining in between stories. and Some comic books as well, including another crossover with Jason. And this time, Ash from the Evil Dead series was thrown into that and had a pretty interesting storyline. There were also two separate but loosely adapted video games that were developed, uh, one for the NES Nintendo Entertainment Center consoles and the Commodore 64 systems. Both of them tied into separate movies and had just basic graphics, basic storylines, nothing really notable. Most recently, we did get to see Freddy pop up in a asymmetric horror game called Dead by Daylight. The gameplay features five people who jump into the game. Four of them play survivors, and one plays a killer. Most of the killers in the game are newly made for the game, but they did introduce some other killers like Leatherface, uh, Jigsaw, Michael Myers from the Halloween franchise, and, of course, Freddy Krueger. Now, with Freddy's powers, he can actually take his victims into a kind of dream world and mess with them and convince them they're maybe doing the wrong thing or drain their health. Definitely tying back into what makes Freddy, Freddy. Now, I already brought up a little bit about Wes Craven and some of the other things he's done. He's had a very prestigious career. Again, he was responsible for The Nightmare on Elm Street, the original Last House on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes. He brought a new taste into the horror world and kind of changed things on how people approach film and uh, what he did. A lot of his movies actually have to do with blurring the lines of reality and fiction, and a lot of it had to do with how he he saw everything and uh, some of his childhood and his upbringing and some of the things he saw especially with dreams and uh, some stories he had read about Southeast Asian refugees disturbing dreams and how many of them died in their sleep hence giving him the inspiration to start the Nightmare on Elm Street saga unfortunately he did pass in 2015 due to brain cancer leaving a legacy that not many can fill Now, as I mentioned, Wes was uh, kind of obsessed with learning about these dream things and bringing them in, uh, not only with Nightmare on Elm Street, but a few other movies that he did had to deal with dream world and what else you can see and what happens when you sleep. Now there are some real interesting studies of what can happen to you while you're asleep. One of them read a lot of interesting stories about uh, seeing people's reactions and, and kind of just going into their experiences with sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis is a feeling of being conscious but being unable to move as well while you're transitioning between wakefulness and sleep. Most people... When you go to sleep, you don't even realize you are until it happens, and then you're in a dream, and just sleep, and you wake up, and everything is good to go. But for a select number of people, they actually have this feeling where they know they are asleep and know that they might be dreaming or something is happening, but their body is paralyzed and they're unable to sleep. This is because when we are asleep, our body does actually have those same things. When we go into REM or rapid eye movement sleep, these typically happen, but some people are more aware of it because their mind is still awake and still processing things even though their body has entered that sleep. So about 25 to 50% of Americans have had sleep paralysis at least once, and about 5% of the population has it on a consistent basis. It is partly genetic, it's associated with narcolepsy, so usually people who have that have the other. Uh, it's accompanied by a lot of noises, or what people perceive as noises, uh, loud crashes, buzzing, hissing, physical things such as feeling like they're being out, dragged out of bed or flying. And many people who talk about this sensation say they have a lot of difficulty breathing. Some reports see loved ones or friends coming into the room and attacking them, creatures sitting on their chests, or just other random events. Most researchers who have looked into this actually believe that many of the alien abduction stories that we've talked about over the course of the last 20 or 30 years are actually sleep paralysis events, and people just didn't know what they could be attributed to. So associated with sleep paralysis, we also have a rare occurrence that was most prevalent during the 1970s and 80s with Southeast Asian refugees. Many of the Hmong from Laos and Thailand believe that those who died while they were sleeping were killed by their own beliefs in the spiritual world, meaning that they Saw and believed so much of what was going on while they were sleeping that what happened to you if you Died while you were sleeping in your dreams you died in real life so this was known as the Nocturnal pressing spirit attacks or pretty much similar to how Freddy himself attacked his victims attacking them in the dream world and influencing what happened to their physical body Now, this has also been described as maybe a ghost or a spirit pressing upon the victim's chest. A lot of the Chinese cultures uh, believe it's a, a white ghost that actually pushes down while you're sleeping, taking the air out. It actually has gone beyond Southeast Asia and gone over to the Dutch, where they call it the Nachtmerie, or Nightmare. But instead of the mare being a horse, as many would call it, mare is a Danish word for incubus, which is a demonic creature that will attack people in their sleep and dreams. And of course, we're going to cover succubus and incubus a lot more in future episodes because they have a lot going for them, a long history. All these otherworldly experiences are very, very closely related to the effects of sleep paralysis. But you know who really knows what truly happens in the dream world, especially when one can control it. And this is where we can look into the people who actually have learned how to manipulate and manage their own dreams. These are usually what we call dreamwalkers in fantasy or, in real world, lucid dreaming. Now, there are many works of science fiction and fantasy that deal with this concept of dreamwalking, such as Inception, where you could go into another person's dreams, The Cell, Wheel of Time, a fantasy series, 13, 14 books long, that all of these have characters who can actually go and pass through different subconscious to get into your dream, influence your dream, change what you see in them. Now, based on what I could find, I didn't see of any real information on how this could be done in the real world. Um, many have said that they maybe have gone into a deep enough meditation with somebody else to maybe go through theirs and see their dreams, but it's hard to really know if you're seeing what the other person's seeing or if it's just a shared connection. Uh, But many people have actually learned how to control their own dreams and this is a method known as lucid dreaming. Others have learned to train their bodies in dreams by going into the dream world and having a specific dream where they want to learn a new skill or learn how to do something with their body, something realistic of course because in dreams you can do anything. A lot of people say, "Oh, I'm going to fly" or something similar to that. But there have been people that have gone and learned a whole new language in their dreams by taking that time when they are asleep to act like they're awake. They've also been able to learn to tell the future in their dreams just by analyzing patterns or controlling the actions and seeing what could play out if they did things a certain way. Now, as I mentioned, I haven't really seen too many cases of where this dream walking and lucid dreaming through other people's dreaming is a real thing. But there have been reports of maybe shamans from a lot of different religions and a lot of different cultures who have said to have perfected this method of meditation and sorting through another's dreams and thoughts to to help heal them. Again, it's hard to speculate on if they're really seeing what the other person is dreaming or if they're maybe just so in tune with what's going on that they're able to just kind of pick and choose what they know about their, their partner and can help them through something. But the concept is definitely interesting enough when you really put thought into it. Fairy Tales is written and produced by me. Music is provided by Nicholas Gasparini. New episodes are released every Wednesday. If you do enjoy the show, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, as well as rate and review. Every bit of feedback is valuable to me, and I will be sure to give you a shout-out on any future shows. Also, be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at FuryTales13. And of course, check out my Patreon for the member-only rewards and goals I'd like to hit to provide you, my fans, with additional content and higher quality work. And remember, nightmares exist outside of logic, and there's little fun to be had in explanations. They're antithetical to the poetry of fear. Stephen King